call your friends right now as we begin to go through the scriptures. Tell them just to tune in. And if by the end of the message they haven't been touched, then we know, you know, sometimes uh, their wick is wet. You'll get that later. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, we're the same place that we've been for the last forever. Here's what the Bible says, beginning uh, in verse 19. Uh, we got this, this far. We come this far by faith. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, and cleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, <laughs> reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, if you go back to Romans and go back uh, to Corinthians, that's where he's told you in times past. The Bible says, uh, as I've told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. Amen. So what I want to talk to you about today is this thought, man-made or God-produced? Is it man-made or did God produce it? If it's man-made, it only has the ability that man has. But if God produced it, then its source is from God. You can be seen. So when the Bible talks about the contrast between works and fruit, uh, it becomes very important because what we need to understand is that uh, a machine in a factory works and turns out products. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, the uh, very term works is argon, which means an expending of energy. So the Bible says, uh, but machines could never manufacture fruit. Fruit must grow out of life. And that life for the believer is the life of the Holy Spirit. So what we have in us, our character, what defines us is what the Holy Spirit has placed in us. Amen? So the Bible says that uh, when you think of fruit, you think of beauty and quietness and the unfolding of life. The flesh <clears throat> produces dead works. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, uh, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? Now, dead works are works that we produce ourselves. Uh, that's why a lot of folk in the old covenant worked to get to God. You have a new and living way. Amen? But the Bible says the spirit produces living fruit, and this fruit has in it the seed for more fruit. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields the seed, and the fruit of the tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself, uh, is in itself on the earth. And so it was. So the Bible says that when fruit is produced, it's because there is something in the, the fruit that has the ability to reproduce itself. A man-made product does not do that. The Bible says that flesh is able to manufacture sin, but it could never produce the righteousness of God. Now, when the Bible makes that distinction between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, it shows you 
because the Bible says it is evident or it's obvious or it's observable that those things that operate in the flesh then are things that we as mankind have dreamed up through our existence and through the, the history of man. Now, when James says that, where do these thoughts come from? He said they come from within you because in each one of us is that sin nature that we must conquer consistently. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes you don't even know what you're capable of. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You ever heard something come out of your mouth and say, I wonder where that came from? Oh, no, y'all, I forgot. You're good people, right? Good, good people. Amen. So the Bible says then that uh, Paul divides these sins into categories. And I'm going to try to move across this category very rapidly because I don't want you to find your sin in there. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you, if, you, if you dwell on any of them, somebody may say, uh-oh. And I don't want you to do that. Amen. So let's divide them into three categories. The Bible says that uh, there are sexual sins, there are superstitious sins, and there are social sins. The sexual sins or the sensual uh, sins, we see enumerated at the very beginning. Then in the middle, we see certain things like sorcery, uh, where the Bible talks about these are superstitious sins or sins of religion. Why is that, Pastor? Because religion, religion tends to manipulate people. Y'all still with me? I said religion tends to. And that's what happens to folks in church. That's why some folks say, well, you got to fake it till you make it. No, that's what manipulates people. You make people do stuff that they're not capable of handling. And, and that's why the Bible says that God had to usher in a new covenant. I'll get to that a little later. Under the old covenant, you had to follow the rules, and the rules manipulated you into trying to do what was right. And how many know they still didn't do right? Amen? So the Bible says that the third category is social sins. We call these Relationship sins. Now, if there's any one thing that's more dangerous than sexual sins, it has to do with relationship sins. You know, where, uh, let, me, let me change that and I can help you out. You know, the, the first example of the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? And the question that people have, you can tell when it's a relationship problem, people always are concerned about who loves them. Isn't that amazing that people are concerned? Who loves me? Well, so-and-so don't love me. You don't love me anymore. The amazing thing is that the church is never supposed to have that question. Okay. Because God so that he so he gave why? So if he loved you and gave his son for you, why are you questioning his love? Why are you wondering about who loves you? The question is, who do you love? And you see, when you learn to answer that question, who you love, then you'll figure out who loves you. God loves me, and I understand that. I don't have to wonder about it. How do I know he loves me? Because I'm still here. If he did not love me, he would have let me die at childbirth. If he did not love me, he would not have allowed me to grow to manhood. If he didn't love me, he wouldn't let me get saved so I could see him again. So I know he loves me. That's not a question. So I don't ask. I wonder if so-and-so loves me. I don't care. 
What I care about is loving you. You see, this is the only thing, and I need to get back to what I'm talking about, but this is the only thing that becomes a noun and a verb at the same time. I become love so I can show you love. And Christ, he became love for me. And then he gave himself so that the Holy Spirit would be love in me. So when you see me, you see love. And then I can walk in love and show you love. So I can become the now I am love and I can be the verb. I can show you love and I can do all of that because I understand that he loved me first. So stop questioning whether anybody loves you or not. God loves you. There's no question about that. There's no issue there. God loves you. Come on, tell somebody that because you need to let them know. Mm, hallelujah. Mm. So when God teaches us this, he, he says, uh, Paul writes this, he says that there are three categories of sins and all of them are very evident and very observable. But then he goes one step further. He, adds, he says uh, and he has anything similar to this. He includes in that because, you know, when you start manufacturing sin, you just come up with stuff. You, you know. That's why there's so much uh, 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 perversion in the world today. Amen. So the point is that such sins are the natural result of living according to the flesh and an evidence that we are not walking in the spirit. Now, there is a clear delineation between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. And you can tell it when a person walks in the room. Amen. Amen. Now, look at uh, Colossians chapter three, verse 24. It says, knowing that. Uh, from the Lord, you will receive reward, uh, the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. If we know who we serve, we know how to behave. <laughs> say what? But you see, what happens is that most Christians who are walking according to the flesh are living in denial. They're denying the power of God. Come on, didn't we just say that God is love? So if he loved me, then how can I feel unloved? So if I'm having a love problem, then that means I'm denying the power of God. Do you know how many folk there are today who believe that the issues of their life have to do with somebody else? Denial, the Bible says, <laughs> describes the all too frequent habit People having, here's what, look, they, they have the issue of overlooking problems. That's number one, overlooking problems. You know what I mean when I say overlooking problems? If there's something wrong in their life, they see it's something wrong in your life. The second thing is they refuse to accept responsibility. If something's wrong, you need to fix it. Stop complaining about it. And you know, I hear people say all the time, well, I don't know how to fix it. Well, let's go back to James again. He says, if a man lacks wisdom, who do you ask? Who gives it to you liberally? And he says it, it, it is unbridled, which means that he says, I'll give it to you on credit. If you ask me. And then the third thing he says is uh, uh, that they neglect taking the required action. They neglect taking the required action. In other words, I know I got a problem. I know I need to do something about it. I can probably ask God to fix it, but ain't ready yet. Hmm? Half the people who are backslidden today are in that state. They know they got a problem. Come on, can I just... <laughs> if you got mad with somebody in church... You know you have a problem. Because it's hard to get mad with somebody. Enter. If you said I had a problem with somebody at Walmart, I'd understand that. But when you say I have a problem with folk who are like-minded, there's an issue there. And I believe that that issue is denial. 
I believe that they have denied that there's something wrong with them, that they have to be able to fix it, and that they have the power to do it. They're denying all of that. They're saying, I want it fixed, but I want somebody else to fix it. Yeah. Huh? So denial then does not mean the uh, inability to see something wrong. Rather, it is the unwillingness to see what's wrong. In other words, uh, I know I need to be closer to Christ, but I don't want to do that. Because that means I got to go to church more. I have to be accountable. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Denial must be overcome before we can repent. What? You have, to, you have to come, listen, you have to come to a place. Psalms 19, verse 12 says, who can understand his errors? Then look, here's what David says. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. How many of you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he released salvation for your life? How many of you received that promise and you confessed that and you said, I believe that I am saved. And if you believe that you are saved, then why are you holding on to sins of error? You do not believe that Jesus can forgive you for that? Okay. So the Bible says, stop. He don't say it, I say it. Stop lying to yourself. Amen. Blaming somebody else for your own. Well, I hope them folk hadn't tuned in yet. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting to the good part. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, the contrast to works of the flesh are the fruit of the spirit. Works are something that you do motivated by your own flesh. Now, this is a problem for us because most of us respond quickly to the flesh. Amen? But fruit is something that's produced through you by the Spirit of God as you respond to his urging. Amen? In John chapter 7, the Bible says in verse 38, He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he said, but he spoke this concerning the Spirit, who's, uh, uh, whom those believing in him would receive. So he said, you're going to receive. Now, Jesus hadn't died at this point, but he said, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is going to make you different. Now, the sources are different, the flesh and the spirit. The sources are different and their outcome are different. But just as works are visible, so also is the fruit of the Spirit. So you can, you can actually see the manifestation of fruit. Yes. Now, how, how, how is that? Well, <laughs> fruit, please write this down if you don't write anything else down. Fruit always bears the character of the tree that produced it. You will never see an apple on an orange tree. You understand that? Now, if you understand that, you know that you will never see a saint who is a failure. How's that, how does that happen? How do we go around defeated? And, come on. That means that you're not reflecting the character of the tree. And every fruit produces after the seed that produces it. Are y'all still with me? Now, notice something else. I want you to see this. The word fruit is singular, not plural. The Holy Spirit has one fruit. What? One fruit. And the Bible says that that fruit is broken down into a list of traits still 
one fruit. So in order to help us understand this, uh, uh, here's what the Bible says. The spirit has one nature and one fruit. Therefore, when he lives in a person, all these traits are present. All these traits are present. The genuine believer does not experience and bear just some of the fruit. In other words, you can't love me and then not be kind to me. Are y'all still with me? The Bible says the spirit of God produces them all in the life of a believer. So if, listen, one of the first things I know is that if I am loved, then I can show love. And if I have love, listen, the very next thing, the next trait behind love is what? What? Joy. So if I have love, guess what I have? So then how do we get so offended and so hurt when we are loved and we have love, but we have love with no joy? (laughs) How much time? Oh, Lord. Uh, I'm going to have to take a side road. Revelations chapter 2. Whenever I think about love and I think about saints, I always think about the loveless church. <clears throat> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Revelations chapter 2. Here's what the Bible says. To the angel at the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Sounds like a good church, doesn't it? Huh? Yeah. The Bible says, and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. So you're able to spot a phony. Check it out. And you have, look at this, persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. And have not become weary. So far. And then he goes on to say. Nevertheless. I have this against you. That you. Left. Your first love. See here's the problem. When we stop loving. We stop exhibiting fruit. And even though love is only one of the traits, it is the springboard. The Bible says that faith love, uh, faith works by love. The Bible teaches us that if, if we don't have love, and all we're doing is, is, is what, we, what he call it, uh, sounding brass and whatever, clanging timbrel, uh, we have nothing going on in our lives. The Bible says even when Paul was writing that in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he said this. He said that when I was a child, before I understood what love was, I acted like a child and I spoke like a child. But then I grew up. I became mature. So what he's saying here is that a loveless church then is a church where people love out of duty. Do you all understand what I'm saying? So we do all the stuff that we're supposed to do, but our heart is not in it. Come on, you got my body, but you don't have my heart. That's why uh, Jeremiah said in, in Jeremiah chapter 31 that you have, to ha- you have to be a partaker of the new covenant. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23 says that you got to have a new spirit in you. If you are not changed from the inside, you don't have the capability of loving on the outside. So the stuff that you do on the outside seems good, but it's not prospering the church. Now, what is the problem here? Let me tell you what the problem is. A loveless church is a backslidden church. People are doing, but they're not moving. Are y'all understanding this? So if there is no love in the church, the church can't grow 
And the reason it can't grow is because love produces those kinds of traits that the, the, the joy, the kindness, the long suffering. All those things are produced as a result of my loving you with the God kind of love. And when it comes to the point that I can't love you anymore, I don't see that stuff. Even though I've learned how to do this stuff, I continue to do it, but it's not working. When you see a church in crises, and I see the church today is in crises. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean that people are loving out of duty, out of habit, out of rote behavior, but not because of genuine concern for one another, then that church is slowly dying. This is not a church we want to be a part of. Do you understand this? Let's read on. The Bible says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Some wise man said this. First things first. <laughs> I don't know who that fellow was, but he was a pretty smart fellow. You got to do first things first. If you don't love, forget the rest of it. How can you declare yourself a saint, but you can't love your brother or your sister? And somebody says, well, pastor, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. Who cares? Can I tell you something about fruit? See, love is one of those things that we have to understand. Fruit produces more fruit. The more I look at fruit, if it's love, the more I learn to love, the more I am love. Oh, the more joy I have, the more people who are around me become joyful. Why? Because I keep reproducing myself in their presence, and therefore, that's how church grows and that's how we mature in the kingdom. That's why I said for all of the, those folk that are probably tuning in by now, got to sleep out their eyes, rolling over, saying, I want to see what he got to say. This is what he's got to say, that if you love me, you'll keep my word. Come on. If you love me, you'll stay connected. John chapter 15, abide in me and my word will abide in you. Come on. And you can ask me whatever you want. But if you stop abiding, come on, I'm talking to y'all now, home. If you stop abiding, how is it you expect to produce fruit? And John says this way in John chapter 15 in verses, I think it's around four or five, he said that you produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Is that what he said? He said if you uh, abide that you produce more uh, fruit, then he said you, pr you produce uh, much fruit, much and more. Anyway, I, I don't know which way to, let me look it up. How about that? <laughs> I, I got a Bible, right? <laughs> Somebody say, yeah, I, I can find that. John chapter 15. I thought they'd have found it by now. I might have to find it myself. All right. John chapter 15. One more page. Here's what it says. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Amen. And come on, there was one more. There it is. Verse one says, or two, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay? All right. So, more and much. I was trying to get them straight, but I got them now. So what are we saying? Fruit produces more fruit. So if we can love, we can love more. 
What are you trying to say to me? I'm saying that if you love, you have the capacity to love even more. So if you can look, if you can love those who are lovable, then you ought to have the capacity. Yeah, you heard it, didn't you? To love those who are unlovable. And you shouldn't have any problem loving folk that you worship with. (laughs) Hallelujah. Somebody. So let me go back to Revelation one more time. The Bible says this. (laughs) In verse 5, it says, remember your first words. It says, repent. And do your first works. Uh, Otherwise, I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand. Just make it easy. Remove your anointing. Huh? Unless you repent. Wonder what God wants us to do. What you reckon he was trying to get us to do? He says, but this... uh, I have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. I like God. God's like the Godfather. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, right? <laughs> but here's what he says. He says that a loveless church loves without joy. Let me say that one more time. They love without joy. What loveless church has done, stay with me, the loveless church has made love a ritual or religion. They love legalistically. I'm duty bound to love you. That's a lie. That is not agape. And what happens is that most of us don't understand what real love is, so we love out of obligation. So there's no way that the praise team can never sing about being free when they're in bondage because they can't look. Are y'all still with me? All right, let's go back to what I'm supposed to be talking about. So the Bible says if you display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your life without the Holy Spirit, uh, you can't, I'm sorry, you can't show it without the Holy Spirit. While the works of the flesh destroy the fruit, the Spirit of God provides life and refreshment. Now, works destroy fruit. Works destroy fruit. Because you're doing something that God did not ordain causes you to lose what you had. Yep. So then the Bible says this. It says that uh, uh, to love is to seek another person's good, especially when that person can do nothing for you in return. Wow. What? Joy is a settled celebration of the soul within us when circumstances don't make us happy. Uh-oh. You mean to tell me that <laughs> there are times in our lives when, I, when our lifestyle does not make us happy? I don't know of any saints like that because y'all all happy, right? Peace results when strife goes away to harmony. Now, you know what harmony means? Let me make sure you understand that. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace brings harmony, which means that uh, because I'm different than you, I can still get along with you. In the climate we're living in, The Bible says to exercise patience is to be long-suffering. We get a twofer there. 
Patience brings us to long suffering. So when somebody say I'm patient, get ready to suffer long. Anybody want to know? Ask Job. Bible says uh, uh, goodness, well, kindness. Let's see. Let's demonstrate kindness when uh, we help rather than hurt. This is a biggie, too, because some church folk actually hurt you when they're trying to help you. What you mean, Pastor? Well, if you're trying to get me free and you hurt my feelings in the process, now I got two problems. I'm bound and hurt. <laughs> Goodness summarizes the virtuous acts, of, acts and attitudes that advance the kingdom of God. In other words, when we do things that causes God to be glorified, that's the goodness of God. The fruit of faithfulness brings constantly perseverance and dependability. Let me hit on the last one, dependability. Simplify. I like that. Because a saint, like a good Marine, is always faithful. There used to be a cartoon on TV. They had this big old elephant, and he had a saying. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He always said, I said what I, and what? I know, what do I say? How's it go? That's it. See, 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 that's it. Somebody saw that beside me. <laughs> people say, people say folks have, have memories like elephants because they say an elephant always remembers. That's why you can put him to a stake and he won't because he remembers. But he is 100% faithful because he remembers. Do you understand that? Well, I'm glad you had that. I, 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 I had the 100%, but I didn't have, I, <laughs> Gentleness is seen in the one who practices tenderness and submission to God. Now, that's how you are able to tell me something without hurting my feelings. Hello? Hello? Nah, I'm going to take a pass on that here. I had a good one, but I'm going to let that one slide. <laughs> when we say no to sin, we say yes to God. In the midst of uh, temptation, we exhibit what? Self-control. Self-control. Let me take a minute here with self-control. The last fruit looks to us. Temperance of self-control implies not only abstinence from injurious drinks and food, but control of the temper. Control of the temper. Control of the tongue. Control of the tongue. Control of the desires, the passions uh, for money or power. We have to come to a place where we recognize uh, uh, how to know what's for us and what's not. A lot of people haven't figured that out yet. So we, we lust after things and we desire them. So we try to figure out how to get them on our own. Amen? So here we go. Let me try to summarize this real fast. Bible says that uh, 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 these fruit are not goals that we pursue because we don't have the ability to produce them. We can't, we can't make fruit. What we do is we bear it. Do you understand it? We don't, we don't make it. The Holy Spirit produces it, and we bear it. Are you? So I can't manufacture love. I can't manufacture joy, peace, kindness. I can't do that. It's Holy Spirit produced. Are y'all still with me? 
So the Bible says this. I love this. The more I submit to the leading of the spirit, the more I exhibit the quality of the fruit. What you behold, you become. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So what is the Bible saying? Uh, we must know him, love him, remember him, and imitate him. We will fulfill the intended purpose of the law, that is to love God and our neighbors. Amen. See, we do good at one, but not the other. We got to do both. Amen. Now, in conclusion to this part, <laughs> the Bible said, we should remember that fruit, the fruit of the spirit is the very nature of God. Look at Galatians chapter uh, 2, verse 20. And the Bible says, I've been crucified with Christ. Uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son who loved me. There it is. He loved me and gave himself for me. And then Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, which is this special, but be what? Fill with the Spirit. Amen? So, uh, we have to have such a great confession uh, that we are able to keep ourselves cleansed from sin. God keeps our, 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 our persons clean and pure and acceptable. And that's what we have to understand. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit before we get to the end of this. I want to talk to you just a minute about covenant because this is the reason so many people are not able to exhibit the fruit. And this is why I believe, okay, I believe. Notice I'm saying I. I believe that the church in the 21st century is in a backslidden state. We're not doing the things that make for peace. We're not doing things that advance the kingdom. The church is shrinking rather than growing. Why are these people not in church? Because they did not understand covenant. And because they didn't understand covenant, they felt free to walk away. Now, this is hard because covenant is like the husband-wife relationship. It's like the parent-child relationship. People say, well, children don't always get along with their parents. Well, we told you, they don't have to get along, but they do have to honor them because the word says so. So that means that if mama or daddy says it, then you, you have to do something. If you don't do anything but leave home, you got to do something. You, you, are we with you? So let me give you a, a quick definition of covenant. You can put it in your own words. A covenant is, divine, is a divinely created bond through which God administers his kingdom program. In other words, covenant is how God advances the kingdom. Those who operate under covenant receive its intended blessings. Let me repeat that. Those who operate under covenant receive its in, intended blessing. The new covenant refers to a new relationship that God established through the death and burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian who has trusted Jesus as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice, you are a member of the new covenant. Now, here's what that means basically. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you are part of the new covenant. You have a covenant relationship with Christ. Now, the only other covenant that exists today outside of your relationship to your church 
is husband and wife. Wow. What? Now, people have a hard time with this, so I'm just trying to make it easy. Now, you cannot walk away from a church any more than you can just walk away from a wife or a husband. There are laws in place that govern the covenant of marriage. And there are laws in place that govern the covenant of Christ. You can't just quit because you don't feel like it. Or you can't move because you like that place over there better. Uh, it would be hard. It would be hard for uh, a, a, a husband just to say, well, you know what? I think this lady over there is better for me, so I'm going I'm to move in with her. You, you. But this is what saints do all the time in this new era of church, this backslidden church. So, Pastor, what's the answer? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me read you one more passage here. I like this. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, the Bible says that uh, uh, God wrote the law into the hearts of people. And it says the law revealed their sinfulness and their inability to keep it. It showed their desperate need to have renewed hearts. So the first thing is we need some people to repent. They need, their heart needs to be changed. Amen. If you want to have a, a church that's vibrant and alive, then the people have to be revived. Are y'all with me? And then the thing that we're going to get to, which is how I brought this into play. Communion. Communion is a vital part of what we do as a church. The Lord's Supper offers a uniquely powerful time of spiritual intimacy with the Lord in the same way that physical intimacy in marriage is a special time between a husband and wife. This is why we're encouraged to partake of communion as often as possible. It is a special sharing with Christ beyond the normal relationship enabling access to heaven at a deeper, deeper level. And last but not least, communion is also designed to demonstrate the unity of the church at a common meal with the Savior. Until the church can be one. When the Bible talks about how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Guess what it says at the end of that? It is there that God commands a blessing. Is that what the word says? That God, what? Commands a blessing when we come together as one. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that those people who decided that they didn't want to be a part of the covenant can't be a part of the blessing. Are you listening to me? It is in that place that God commands a blessing. And if we as a church want to get back to being blessed, back like we did in the old days, then we have to know that we have to be in a place of unity. Are y'all still with me? So as you begin to prepare your hearts for communion today, I want you to remember that you're in a covenant relationship. You cannot leave unless you send some divorce papers this way. Now, last but not least, and I mentioned this to the leaders the other night, and I'll make sure that, uh, that you all <clears throat> understand this. If you leave me, I'm going to use me. I'm not losing anybody else's church. If you leave me as your pastor, I still expect your offering. But pastor, I'm in another church. If you can't afford to take care of that church and me too, you can't leave. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Hold on now. Hold on. 
Now, now I can't use anybody here about divorce because I don't want to put that on nobody. Because, but if a person were to divorce a wife and she got a lawyer, he gonna have to take care of the new wife and the old. But the fact of the matter is, we think that, listen now, we think that man's law is higher than God's law. So I can just leave church. I'm going to divorce the church. But, but I ain't paying no alimony. Ain't paying no child support for all them folks that I left behind. I'm just going on about my business. There can't be, listen now, remember you heard it from here, you, there can't be a blessing there. Now, I might as well just go on out. Let's go out with a bang, right? It's 4th of July. And this is what happens. So many people now are living on day spring blessings. That anointing lasted for a season. So you went to church ABC and you were a superstar. And pretty soon you start to dim because you don't have any fire left. So you got to go to another church and another church and another church because your fire has gone out. Y'all still here? All right. I ain't messing with nobody else. But I did need people who are not in the right place need to hear this because everybody thinks that somebody has done something to them when in reality what we have done is something for you. We've given you a chance to make it right. Amen. All right, stand up on your feet.